This is Corey Marie, writer and producer of the Who Killed My Mother podcast. Just a note about this episode. When I wrote and recorded it, I didn't know where my mother's story was going or how it would end, so it might sound like a conclusion when you listen through it. But there is another episode, episode 17. I wanted to let you know so that you are sure not to miss the true ending of the story. And as always, thank you so much for listening. The seamen took the boat out, dropped their nets into the water, pulled out starfish to collect on the deck. Once the deck was so full, the planks disappeared. The seamen gathered them in their hands, one at a time, and tore the starfish into smaller pieces. After separating each limb, they tossed the fragments overboard, grabbed another, and began again. They didn't know that if torn from their center, leaving a remnant of core still attached to its limb, a starfish can remake itself. But they learned, when they returned after two summers, to find thousands of stars in the water. From the poem Evolution, written by me, KB Marie. And this is the author's note to my true story, Who Killed My Mother? First and foremost, I want to thank everyone, from the bottom of my heart, who came this far into the story with me. It has meant so much to me that you've allowed me to share my mother's story with you, as I try to make sense of my loss and understand her death. But I've taken you as far as I can for now, since as of writing this, I don't know what will happen next. As I mentioned in the last few episodes, I haven't heard back from the medical examiner or the detective so I don't know if there will be a case, or if my mother's murder will ever go to trial. That's why I called this season one, perhaps out of the hope that there might be more to the story to tell one day. And while I think Joe is responsible for her death, I can't help but ask, who really killed my mother? Was it the father who raped her when she was a child, breaking her spirit, her mind? Was it the mother who silenced her, Was it the pharmaceutical industry that does a poor job of regulating how and when doctors hand out pills, and what profits can be turned off of over-medicating others to the point of addiction? Is it the mental health industry, who left her largely untreated, unsupported? Was it the police officers who recorded my mother's strangulation, wrote up and issued a warrant, but then didn't bother to enforce it until after she was dead? Or might we even blame something as nebulous as capitalism, a structure hell-bent on keeping the poor poor and the sick sick? An unequal system that deprives women of the same financial opportunities that many men receive, making it nearly impossible for these struggling women to escape their terrible situations. All these other factors are also to blame. And regardless if Joe ever goes to prison for what he did or not, There are things that I hope will come of this podcast, and if you don't mind spending a little bit more time with me, I would love to share those hopes with you. Hope number one. I hope this podcast helps someone. My mother struggled with many things in her life. Child abuse, alcoholism, addiction, domestic violence, poverty, and mental illness. If any of these things touch your life, I hope that hearing her story has made you feel less alone. Maybe you or someone you love has a history of abuse, or maybe you're still in the thick of it, or perhaps you're like me, and you're in the difficult position of watching your loved one suffer, 
and feeling absolutely helpless, unable to do anything for them. Whatever the situation, I want this story to help you realize that you deserve better. I want you to know that. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done to survive. It doesn't matter if you have a mental illness or an addiction. You still deserve to be happy. So please know that whatever's happening to you or has happened to you, it isn't personal. You're not being punished. You aren't a bad person. All of this is simply the result of a bad situation made worse by a broken system that doesn't offer enough support to the people who need it. I hope that one day that all changes. Hope number two. If you've suffered a loss, I hope this podcast gives you permission to grieve. I probably don't need to tell you that in many places, America in particular, it's almost like we don't have permission to grieve. Maybe it's our jobs who expect us to show up on Monday no matter what. Or maybe it's our own friends and family who are uncomfortable with our feelings and wish we would just buck up and stop drowning them in all of our emotion. Whatever it is, there isn't much room for grief around here. We aren't allowed to fall apart, and if we can't eat, sleep, shower, or continue on with our responsibilities, it's seen as a personal failing rather than the byproduct of grief. I'm also surprised by how many people don't realize they're grieving, myself included. This can either be because we were told at an early age to disregard any inconvenient emotion, or because, again, we simply aren't taught what grief is or what to do with it. But any loss you experience in your life can cause grief, not just when someone dies. The loss of a relationship, a friendship, a job or an opportunity, an illness can instigate a loss of the way we used to live. Many, many of us are grieving right now with the losses incurred by the pandemic, and we might be contending with this grief for a long time. So I just encourage you to go easy on yourself, to know that it won't last. If you are grieving, this is me giving you permission to fall apart. We can't be strong all of the time, no matter what the world, or maybe even the people around you, tells you. You deserve this time and this space. So go slow, be gentle. It absolutely does not mean that you're weak or pathetic. It means that your heart is still working. I also hope that if you can, that you find someone in your life who you can share your grief with, a good friend, or your family, or maybe even professionals. And if you do have someone, recognize that it can be really, really hard to let other people see us in pain. That was probably why it was so challenging for me to tell this story. Even though it's true my fiction often showcases characters who have lost someone they love, it was easier to present grief when I could pretend that it wasn't my own. It's very different when we fall apart in front of someone and we're afraid of what they might think of us. But it is easier to share your grief than to carry it by yourself. So my second wish is that if you have grief work to do, I hope that you find the time, space, and support to do it. Hope number three. I hope this podcast gives you permission to take care of yourself. Whether it's saving yourself from a more immediate danger like domestic violence or substance abuse, or if you need to rebuild your relationship with yourself and address your own traumas, whatever it is, I hope this podcast emphasizes how important it is to take care of yourself, that you are worth taking care of, 
The single most helpful aspect of my own healing has been self-care. Self-care is a practice so often overlooked or rejected in our Western cultures. We take pride in the fact that we are busy and overworked and stressed to our very cores. It means we're ambitious. It means we're hardworking go-getters. But building a relationship with myself is what saved me. When I came out of my childhood, I was so disconnected from my emotional and physical needs that I basically had to learn everything again from scratch. I hope that you're in a better place now than I was then, but even if you aren't, if in fact you have a long way to go, don't be discouraged. You will be so glad that you gave yourself this amazing gift. And if self-care sounds like some weird, nebulous, woo-woo idea and you never know exactly what it means when people bring it up, if they're talking about bubble baths and face masks and maybe a little bit of alone time with a bottle of wine, let me offer this definition instead. Self-care are the practices and habits you do that restore your sense of well-being. Effective self-care tasks will vary from person to person, so it will take some time for you to figure out what makes you feel loved and cared for. There's a great list for you that you might want to start with in the book Own Your Greatness by Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin and Dr. Richard Orbe Austin. You'll recognize a good self-care task when, when you're finished with it, you feel rejuvenated rather than run down relaxed rather than exhausted. If you want to know a place to start, maybe try on a few things and start building your own list. Here are some things that helped me. Spending time in nature, cloud gazing, stargazing, pretty much anything where I'm lying on the flat of my back and looking up at the sky, getting fresh air or bird watching, hiking or walking, going to a beach, journaling, reading, exercising, not eating too much sugar, mindfulness, eating in nice restaurants, getting some kind of body care like a massage or my hair or nails done or maybe even a facial, receiving flowers even if I have to buy them for myself, listening to music, making a list of all the things I'm grateful for, dancing like a fool, browsing a bookstore, talking to a good friend, or baking myself something especially delicious. You can make a list like this for yourself. It might take some time, but I hope you'll do it. And then I hope you'll find a way to work a little self-care into your daily life. I really can't undersell this to you about how important it is to use your life to do the things that give you joy. Hope number four. I hope that this podcast will protect a child. My mother's mental illness and addiction problems stemmed from her chronic sexual and psychological abuse as a child. I hope that by listening to her story, someone will be able to recognize the symptoms of abuse and step in to protect a child from being abused. We cannot underestimate the prevalence of childhood abuse. According to DoSomething.org, 51% of girls and 48.6% of boys will experience childhood abuse and 76% of those childhood abuse experiences will be perpetuated by their parents. In the case of sexual abuse, the CDC says 1 in 4 girls and 1 in 13 boys will experience sexual abuse, and that 91% of the time, the abuse will happen by someone they know. So we have to keep our eyes open. We have to notice when a child's behavior changes. If they suddenly dislike an activity or an environment, or if they don't want to spend time with a certain person anymore, if they become depressed or socially withdrawn, or they start doing poorly in school, they might even develop hysterical seizures like my mother did. Whatever the changes, 
We have to be paying attention if we're going to see them. And if we do see something, we have to be brave enough to say something. Hope number five. I hope that this podcast inspires change, particularly in the mental health industry and the justice system. Unfortunately, it isn't enough just to step in and save a child once the damage has already begun. We can do more to head off the causes of childhood abuse before they happen. Now that we know that four or more adverse childhood experiences, also known as ACEs, increases a person's risk of physical and mental illness, we should do what we can to prevent those ACEs. Preventing ACEs will also reduce chronic health problems, substance abuse, and a variety of mental illnesses including depression by 44%. We can do this by strengthening economic support for families, promoting social norms that protect against violence, ensuring a strong start for children through early childhood home visitations, high-quality childcare, and preschool enrichment programs. We can invest in skills, teach social-emotional learning, safe dating, healthy relationship dynamics, parenting skills, invest in mentoring and after-school programs, offer more victim-centered services, enhanced primary care, family-centered treatment for abuse, and so much more. We aren't helpless. We can, if not totally eliminate abuse, significantly reduce it so that there are fewer people leaving their childhoods, escaping their childhoods, damaged, suffering, and alone. As for the justice system, I don't need to point out how very unjust it is that a black man can go to prison for a crime he didn't do, while someone like my Uncle Joe can have a hundred drop charges, many of them violent, and escape any significant responsibility for his actions. Part of this justice system reform should address rapists and abusers. I wish I could say that domestic and sexual violence, like what my mother experienced, is a rare occurrence, but we both know it's not. The most dangerous risk to a woman's life is having a partner, and three women are murdered by their partners every day. We need to teach men and boys not to rape, not to hurt women, and we need to hold them accountable when they do, rather than giving them lenient sentences, putting their needs, reputations, and futures above the well-being of the women they've hurt. When we don't do this, when we fail to protect and vindicate the victims, they are left to struggle the way my mother struggled for the rest of their lives, believing that their voices are useless, that their pain isn't real, that their lives are not worth protecting. I wouldn't wish this struggle on anyone, would you? I also hope that prisons will stop being for-profit machines that punish poverty, race, mental illness, and unresolved trauma, and become instead an avenue for something significantly more useful. And maybe together with a functional and well-funded mental health care system, we can even create something that actually works, a system that protects people, a system that heals people. These are my hopes for the future, and for you and what I will continue to wish for in the coming days. It's true that we've reached the end of my mother's story for now, and that I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And it's true that I cannot change what happened to my mother. I cannot give her her life back, or undo all the pain that she endured. But I also refuse to believe that her life was meaningless, that absolutely nothing can be done, because I'm still here, and so are you.
This episode of Who Killed My Mother was written and produced by me, Koi Marie, and the music was also written and produced by me. If you enjoy my storytelling, good news, there is a lot more of it out in the world. I have over 20 published books, including novels, illustrated poetry collections, and even this show is available as a memoir to be enjoyed by yourself or by that friend who doesn't listen to podcasts. You can learn more about my work and all that I do by visiting whokilledmymother.com. If you want to do more, you can also support me on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Corey For just a few bucks a month, you'll get early access to my soon to be released content, as well as exclusive content. Not to mention that your support lets me know you enjoy what I do and you want it to continue. And if you can't offer financial support at this time, that is okay. There is still so much you can do. You can subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, or recommend the show to your friends. And I would be so grateful if you did. And last but not least, as always, thank you for listening.